This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. I think it's gayer to not have sex than it is to have sex. That's because you've been conditioned by media to never get the payoff of seeing queer people have sex. Wait, that's actually really true. Oh, wow. I hate that. You know that I almost named my dog Sunday, who's currently in the studio with us, I almost named her Judy. Really? And there have been a few times since I got her that I have felt like, oh, I should have done that. Um, maybe it's her middle name, but it was in, it was going to be an homage to Judy Garland because I had a deep abiding childhood love of The Wizard of Oz. It was probably the thing that more than any Disney movie, more than any like cartoon I was obsessed with and like formed a big chunk of my personality. Lo and behold, I grew up and I learned that that's true for like most queer people. Yeah. And so today we're going to be talking about The Wizard of Oz and all of the Oz-inspired media that has spun off from it. Yeah, the many, many, many different pieces of uh, tangential IP that have accrued over time. Yeah, because this is Like a Virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Damu. And I'm Fran Dorado. And before we click our heels three times, let's talk about what's going on in Kansas. In Kansas, probably something transphobic. 
Was any of the dropout set in Kansas? I feel like maybe <laughs> there might have been a scene there. Well, I mean, I feel like large corporations, especially very corrupt ones, love to like put their bases in random states like that because they know they can get away with more, either tax-wise or just like the government doesn't pay attention to states or that, like Kansas. Yeah, or that's where they test people. But I think in the dropout, they were actually testing people in Arizona. Oh, right, right, right. And on that point, the finale was... Phenom. Excellent. What an incredible season of television. A closed loop. Incredible performance by Amanda Seyfried. Literally. The whole time. Literally. So consistent. Like, virtually, I, I, don't, I don't have any notes. Like, I think it's almost difficult to talk about because it was such a wonderful kind of, like, piece of television. I think it's my favorite show of the year so far. Maybe aside from, like, Euphoria. If, but, like, I just, like, the thing to me is in comparison to all the other scammer shows that are kind of making the rounds right now, because they must be compared. Like, this was the show to pull off what was a very human performance that, like, based absolute absurdist, like, scammery into a reality that you didn't even know existed. Um, I just thought it was so well done, especially now that the We Crashed kind of like uh, <laughs> We Crashed Girl, is like falling I have, off so it has, hard. It has not low key fallen off for me. It has high key fallen off. It fell off the top of a We Crashed. I'm just not interested in the why of how this all happened. With the dropout, like I want to know how Elizabeth Holmes scammed everyone, and I'm really interested in her as a character, despite her being so obviously evil and psychotic with we crashed i i don't care about any of that yeah and with these scammer shows like they all made the kind of choice to center a lot of the scammery around a romance that you're kind of made to root for and the thing about like amanda seafried's character are you meant to root for i I, either of the romances in in we crashed i think they're definitely farming for empathy you have meet cutes you have like you know moments where they're like sobbing together because they're losing billions of dollars it's just like I I don't know. I I actually think it goes very out of its way to spotlight how toxic they are and how from their very first interaction, he was such a douchebag, but she, like, needed purpose so badly that she latched on to him. There's a scene in the most recent episode that you haven't watched that kind of, like, backs my argument a little more. But my point is, with um, Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny, like, I felt... That their relationship, which is very weird and very bizarre and very hard to root for at the beginning. Like the big at the beginning, you're like, this is weird and I'm I think it's hard to root for the whole time. See, no, see, I I was like, this is uncomfortable, and I don't really know how I'm how these two characters are gonna find chemistry. And then by the by the end, when they're like scamming together, you're kind of like, this feels this this was very real. There was, I think this is what I'm actually trying to say. There was realism in the romance that exists in the dropout that did not yeah. exist in We Crash or other scam shows. Out I right believed now. in their relationship yeah, because, that's what I'm trying to say. because I think um, it's a very good depiction of a, a word that I think gets thrown around a lot right now culturally, which is grooming. And she, I think, very clearly was groomed by him, at least in the way that the facts were presented in the show. And I actually thought it was, like, one of the best scenes in the finale was that scene where they are... It's either in the office or at their house where they're kind of, like, making these threats without actually making them. And she says something like, 
you know, I was so young when we met. How old was I? Do you remember? And it's just, it's all right there. She knows exactly what she's doing. She knows she's weaponizing oh their past against him. Um, and it's it's just so brilliant. It's so brilliantly written, acted, directed, everything. And also the chilling moment when she turns to her mom and she's like, is it bad um, if I can't remember, like, what's a truth and what's a lie? Like, is it my fault if I can't even remember? And you see almost briefly, like, a person who has lied to themselves so much. But at that the they insistence of her mother. At, exactly. And I, and and that— It was what she was taught to do. Oh, uh, just all of the different layers of the show worked. Um, I have to ask you one thing before we finally, hopefully, never talk about We Crashed ever again. Do you think that Anne Hathaway is wearing the wrong blush on purpose as, like, a character choice? Or do you think that the makeup artist is just bad? Because the blush is orange. I haven't noticed. Okay. It's so orange. And I I really – I can't look at anything else. And I don't even notice stuff like that. Maybe it's just because I'm starting to wear, like, you know, makeup and blush and stuff. But, like, I I, I just – I felt like it was maybe a character choice. I feel like Anne... I don't know. I feel like she doesn't do shit like that, especially because of how much everyone's talking about Jared Leto and his method acting right yeah. now. I don't think she cares. I think she's like, just, you know, d- do whatever. I would have thought that, too, if it weren't for Anne, Anne Hathaway's also bizarre choice to, like, slightly lower her voice, which I think is very unnecessary. But Yeah, but at least she's not wearing prosthetic teeth. At least she's not wearing prosthetic teeth and a an anti-Semitic, like kind of prosthetic nose question mark like yeah. has anyone ever talked about that i mean i don't even know anyway it's, anyways, like, it's anyways. all it's all drag which does all, which does bring <laughs> us quite born, nicely born naked to, and the rest is, we're all born naked and the rest is jared leto is what you're yes, trying to say it does bring us quite nicely to what i, what I want to briefly touch on i want to give us like a minute tops uh-huh. to talk about Drag Race. Mm-hmm. I knew as soon as this episode started we were getting a five-person finale. I did throw my TV out the window when it happened. Of course. Um, both Willow Pill and who was the other one? Angeria. They both were bad. They were both bad in that lip sync double elimination. I love Willow Pill, but honestly she has not been eating recently and that lip sync was a travesty considering the song that they had. It was a disgrace against Lady Gaga and Beyonce. I don't know if you've heard of them. <laughs> I agree with the with the lip sync tank. I, I think that, you know, we as a community have been waiting for that song to be a lip sync for a very long time. And they both boofed it. I don't think that, you know, Willow has necessarily let me down. I just think that this wasn't a very strong episode for me even the mouse gown i thought, not good it I, felt like a look she brought for something else yeah and it was the only thing she had left I, to wear i loved the concept i just thought that it lacked a little bit of polish and executed but, like, poorly. but the thing is there's just no one else to root for like camden is just like camden has like I think a, she's gonna win that would suck so hard. Because... I think she's going to win. I think she's been getting the winner's edit. Mm. I think she's, honestly, to me, to my mind, the top two, Camden and Daya. 
Because Daya has Daya like, has actually Daya has really a well. very good story of how she was eliminated. She's grown so much. She had that like breakthrough moment halfway during the season. And now she has the diabetes plotline. Yes. I mean. Well, I loved in this episode the part where they invite them all to the TikTok lunch to be like, okay, so tell us about your trauma. Trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing I did appreciate was that I guess Rue isn't dead naming the queens anymore when she <laughs> right. shows them their childhood photos. When they, you know, when they did got Mick that that season, they were like, we have. Asked your permission to use this photo or whatever, which is like you can tell that they're putting better people on the team. But um, to me, okay, Camden being a winner or even being in the finale, it's just like her place is deserved. It's just she doesn't have anything distinctive or ownable about her. It's kind of like a Courtney Act problem where it's like, yeah, you're just kind of like hitting all the marks and you can clearly afford really nice costumes and you're a triple threat. But that's like beyond that, when you take all of that away, like what's left. And I think that when you think about, you know, the pillars of the show and like charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent, it's like Camden to me lacks like the charisma and the uniqueness. I think she has the nerve and I think she has the talent, but I just, I don't think she has the first half of like what's required of a star. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm very excited to see Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, win track race. Um, by which I mean Lady Camden looks like Phoebe Waller-Bridge out of drag. Literally exactly like her. Um, uh, unfortunately, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is not taking home $100,000 for The Killing Eve. Um, $150,000 now. Oh, they upped, right. They upped the, the money. But have you seen the swirl of controversy that is around the Killing Eve finale, which, by the way, didn't even know Killing Eve was airing. Had no idea. I knew it was airing. I didn't know that it had ended, but I did see people talking about it on Instagram today and just how awful the finale the was. The girls are mad. Mad. I, the, mad. Think, the think pieces Big are mad. abundant. Okay. Oh, I'm staying far away from <laughs> auto straddle. Pink news is in their traffic oh, no. marches today. <laughs> okay. Oh no, the girls are down bad. <laughs> Gay time. Queer tea is up in flames. <laughs> They're like, we'll talk about we'll talk about lesbians one day a year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I I have to say the function of art and how we make it is not to make you feel safe inside of this. Like the, like if you don't feel safe, if you don't like watching things that don't make you feel safe, you don't have to watch it. No, it's sis. to tell compelling and, stories. And and so it's like to me, it's like if you're going to like call and tr- attempt critique as you say like you're not going to sit here and say this is how like this made me feel and it betrayed me personally and therefore is bad you can say that but it just doesn't hold much weight you should be critiquing it because the finale was just bad you know what i mean yes. like find ways to talk about how the barrier gaze trope is like bad because it's repetitive and unoriginal not because you feel betrayed i also don't think you can say that uh, the main character of a TV show dying in the last episode of a four-season show, <laughs> yeah. a character who was an assassin, yeah. is barrier gaze. It's yeah. not – you can't just say any queer character who dies is barrier gaze because what if you're watching a horror movie? Literally. That is literally the function of horror movies is to kill people and, for entertainment. And this is a serial murderer thriller. Like, that is like – what? I just anyway. I I can't. I can't. I get that the I get that the lesbians are down bad, you know. <laughs> Find another show. Yeah. Find some go read a book. Go touch grass. Please <laughs> go outside. Go outside. Find some other queer people in real life and talk to them. Go to a yeah. community center. Go 
I don't know, learn to knit. I don't do something. Okay, that's true. As our producer just said, lesbians do how to knit. I just mean, take all that energy you use telling people, telling like directors and like uh, actors online to kill themselves and put it towards actual queer liberation. Exactly. Whatever whatever way you can find that that is. Because I am so apologetic to tell you that you will never find queer liberation in a TV show. Ever. Period. And I and I have to say, if you want to feel liberated, you should go and see Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes, God. Michelle Yell. Oh, my God, Frangela. <laughs> I, I have not had that kind of emotional cathartic moment in a movie in, uh, like, six months. It was so... In at least <laughs> since, six hours. Since the last time I watched Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That show... Uh, that movie, like... I mean, it it exceeded my already impossibly high expectations. Like, I'm going to say, better multiverse movie than Spider-Man No Way Home. The new Doctor Strange movie has, you know, its work cut out for it. Because yes. Michelle Yao really just, Michelle you know, Yao is the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I would watch that movie. I mean, the clip circulating right now... Um, she is in Marvel. Yes, exactly. But I think, honestly, I'm thinking about that about her role in Marvel as a character that kind of can is just one of the many characters that has let her down as an actress and 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 has failed to show her versatility um despite the fact that she is very badass in Shang-Chi but like my my this the clip that's circulating right now of Michelle Yao kind of tearing up and talking about how when she read the script she felt that this was the first time someone could finally see what oh she was God, capable I was of got it uh, but it's so true and like this Film, which, uh, you know, no spoilers, but, like, the premise is, it's, like, Michelle Yao owns a laundromat um, with her family and discovers that she belongs to a multiverse that she is kind of, like, the chosen one to, like, save, basically. Yeah. Um, It sounds crazy, but, like, you buy into the movie really quickly, which Mm -hmm. I think is honestly... The, the complexity of the universe that they build is so actually quickly understood, which is so hard to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get so lost in plots like that. And, like, you just understand – or rather, you click into it so immediately. All of the action, all of the comedy, all of the kind of, like, uh, emotional, like, resonance of, like, each of these performances just, like, stuck the landing in every way. Like, what were your favorite parts from this? Well – I thought it was so funny. I laughed so much while watching it. Um, the parts that made me the most emotional were The Rocks. Oh! I, you ha- if you know, you, you have know, to see it. You have, you to, have see to see it. it. It was so good. I think um, her husband, who's played by uh, Kei Kwan, mm. was so great. And I found him very sexy. He was sexy. In the sexy. scene, the universe in, where he was in the suit, where she was a singer. So hot. Um and all of these actors' ability to play so many different selves. Yes. Like, so many different versions of the same character, like the actor. I thought her daughter uh, was really good. I, incredible. I, um, she's in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I've always thought she was like, pretty good in that as well. Uh, I was oh, and Jamie so Lee Curtis! Away. And Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis, oh my god, the, the hot dog hands <laughs> universe. <laughs> it's so, so funny. good. It's such a, such a good movie, and I think, like... And, you know, we're, after this, I want to talk about Severance, because we both started watching Severance this weekend. And I do think, like, there's something linking these two things together, because they both 
do what really good science fiction is supposed to do, Ooh, yeah. which is take something that's really grounded in reality and really human and blow it out through science and technology. Like, like create a universe and that is very like our own, except like humans have figured out how to do one thing. And here, like, and everything everywhere all at once, it's like this central idea of what if? Like, what if I had made this choice? What if my life had gone this way? And that is a very relatable feeling. I think we all feel like that from time to time. And on that note, like, in terms of, like, the sci-fi, the world building of it all, like, we have to champion original films. Because the only things popping off right now are, like... Existing IP. Exactly. Marvel movies, reboots, reboots, sequels, like, and uh, this is such an annoying and cliche, like, kind of like thing to say but it's so true and like this is a movie that we as a culture like wait for in terms of like a completely novel originality that is entirely like uh, like it entirely in its own right like beautiful and stunning and like flawless like I don't use that word lightly even though that's so uninteresting to say also Jenny Slate was so good yeah. the scene with the dog where oh she's like using God. it as a weapon so good I don't think I, I will say, I don't think it's a perfect movie. There were parts of it that I thought, like, I think the end is, like, very, the the emotionality, like, almost becomes a little saccharine. Mm. Um, and I think, like, some of the things are wrapped up a little too tidily. But it kind of doesn't matter because the strokes are so broad, yet the emotions are so specific that it all just really works. I, just on a taste level, tend to enjoy more saccharine things, but regardless, like, you and I did sob through the last, like, third. Oh, the yeah. Last, the last then, 30 minutes at least. And then, and I saw this movie alone. We both saw it alone. Yeah, we both saw it alone. Um, and I left afterwards, went down to the parking garage, sat in my car, and cried more because I was thinking about my mom. <sighs> Oh, and the movie my God. hits you multiple times because there's so many layers to it. Yeah. Oh. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, a movie that, and you were talking about the last time you cried. I just want to quickly sneak in um, the fact that, like, this, uh, I watched this movie the day after I saw Coda, which was a movie that I quickly discovered was not Belfast. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, I was like, I think I had conflated the two in my head as, like, the white contenders for the Academy, you know, win for Best Motion Picture. And so when I sat down to watch it, because it was this year's Best Picture winner, I had a very emotional experience to it. The logline is like, a girl is the only hearing member of a deaf family, and she really loves to sing. And so she is basically deciding whether, at the end of high school, whether she's going to pursue singing as a dream or whether she's going to stay with her family to support them because she's the only one that can hear. And so like it, it, another movie that I like sobbed through the last 30 minutes of actually like a movie that like I, I started crying and then like just kind of continually cried, but I was also trying to like eat um, like the barbecue that I had ordered. And so like my nose was really stuffed up and then another crying moment happened. And so I was like, because my nose was stuffed up, I started like sobbing and then choking on my own food like while I was crying. It's wow, a very visceral experience. Yeah, it, it was. But it, it definitely, definitely, definitely see that movie. I think it's worth, you know, a month of Apple, Apple TV Plus if you well, subscribe. So I pay for Apple TV Plus. Oh, so. right. It's... Yeah. um. And so it was very easy for me to, once I saw that everyone was talking about the show Severance, to decide to give it give it a go. 
Um, which actually is like a very hard thing for me to do because I do not just like try out new TV shows without feeling pretty confident that I'm going to like them. Mm. And I was kind of, I guess the way that people were talking about it and some of the like stills I was seeing on Twitter, I was kind of expecting a succession vibe mm. for some reason. I was, I guess I thought like, oh, this is Apple TV's ex- succession. And it's so not. It yeah. is Okay, to give you the log line, severance takes place in a world where people can have a procedure done called severance where when they go to work, they completely forget their outside lives and become this blank slate persona. And when they leave work, they can't remember anything that happened there. So it's essentially like bifurcating these people and like kind of lobotomizing them. Literally. It's, It's starring Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette. Um, and directed by Ben and directed Stiller. Directed by Ben Stiller, yeah. Question mark. He's Good like been her. working on it for like five or six years or something. Yeah, and it's really creepy. I think the so cinematography creepy. is really beautiful. And the show, if you watch the trailer, the trailer very succinctly t- kind of shows you a little bit of what you're trying to sign up for. And I thought that it would maybe be more ham fisted in its critique of, like, you know, the workforce or in its critique on, like, capital and our relationships to, like, our work. But I actually feel like what the show tries to say about work is not too heavy because it prioritizes the suspended tension. Totally. The it's much more about the storytelling exactly. than about any sort of, like, think PC metaphors. Yes. To be totally honest, the show is maybe not as much to my taste because... The suspended tension is something that, like, I feel like I need a buddy while I'm watching it. It is actually very, very spooky. It's very tense. The show reminds me a little bit of how you experience WandaVision in that when you go into it, for a lot of the a lot of time, you're kind of like, what am I watching? Like, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out the world, a lot of cogs running your... If, and if you don't have context, it's like, you're kind of just... a along for the ride you kind of concede yourself to these the tv makers and uh, obviously they're very different shows but i'll be interested to see how severance pays off yes i really want to know what's coming at the end This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. One of my earliest childhood memories is tying a, an afghan that my grandma had made me around my body. Like like you would a towel, you know, like a, to, like a feminizing of, of course. towel moment. Okay. As um, queers are wont to do, to, are wont to swap themselves in fabric of some kind. Um, and I would, you know, imagine myself wearing um, a, a blue and white gingham dress uh, because... All I wanted when I was a little child, child. gender neutral term, um, was to be Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. Of course, I mean she's she is the archetype. Um, I also feel like I really wanted to be Dorothy. This is an interesting episode for both of us, and that neither of us are virgins, but this was very formative to us personally, and therefore is worth talking. Yeah, and about. it's our podcast, and we'll do whatever the fuck we want. We'll do whatever the fuck. We want, um, I, you know, uh, on the note quickly of queers swapping, swapping themselves in fabric. I think, like, what is that? What? Why is it a queer rite of passage it's to like to trans. wear to, yeah, <laughs> to wear a blanket as a dress or to like pull it over as a cape while you descend a staircase to like you know let it flow it's behind drama, you? Honey. Like, or like it shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, similarly, um, the Wizard of Oz was just one of the most prominent things of my childhood i read the book over and over and over again in like i don't know what when do you read those books like first or second grade i was more of a movie girl it was about the movie for me it was judy garland margaret hamilton down you know the girls were girling i would i probably watched the wizard of oz every day when i was a kid Mm. i had a book that had the script and also lots of like photos and behind the scenes stuff. And I would page through it as I watched the movie and I would like color in it and make notes. It was the wizard of Oz was my whole life. I was obsessed with it there. There were these porcelain dolls that were sold at, do you remember the Franklin mint? There's a Mm -hmm. store in the mall that sold collectibles and they had a, um, 
a, a line of Wizard of Oz porcelain dolls and like oh that sounds haunting uh, and I needed to have them and like obviously like I was AMAB <laughs> and dolls were like not were frowned upon but I like kicked and screamed so much that I had the Dorothy one and I had the Wicked Witch one. I and I might have made them kiss. One of my, of course, of course, as we always do. One of my earliest Halloween costumes was the Tin Man, and my cousin was Dorothy. And I remember being like just seething, so jealous. seething ah! with jealousy that I had to be this ugly ass Tin Man with this ugly ass mask. Um, Maybe I think I, this is finally the year that I'm Dorothy for Halloween because now my dog looks like Toto. Oh. My God, Rose. Yeah. I didn't even think I'm about that it. component. Done. Oh, oh, thank God. Wow. It's April. I don't have to think about Halloween. But can the dress be like, you know, like, I don't no, know, no, like no. Moschino going, no, or no. something? We're going classic. Come on. No. no. You're not going to do a hair, like a Harry Styles doing that Gucci, no. Gucci Dorothy dress? As we say <laughs> as we say in the industry, mega flop <laughs> due to Kaka. <laughs> However, his single... Is popping. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about that. We have in the to news. say it as it was. As it was, we are we are newly stands. we are newly radicalized Harry Styles stands. I've never listened to a Harry Styles album before, but I was like, I have been listening to this over and over because it's so short and has like it's one of those TikTok songs that has no actual emotional like cathartic payoff. So you have to listen to it seventy two times in order to feel the the catharsis. Um, but I was I was you know taking a late night trip to Sweet Green as I often do, picking up my Sweet Green and the Harry Styles. Styles song played and I, I thought of you and it was mm-hmm. it, I, I felt anyway like I was gonna cry back right to there. Oz. <laughs> um, I so, okay, so Wizard of Oz, the, the thing I loved most as a child. Come come to find out as a queer adult that the it's entire like the gayest, it's like the gayest thing in the world. Oh, I thought you were I thought you were gonna say that the entire production was cursed. Oh, yeah, we I think we all know that. Okay, good. That's what I thought. I feel like people that know the Wizard of Oz no, know. No, we all know about like the guy hanging in the cornfield. And... Which apparently wasn't a real thing. That wasn't real, it was an ostrich or whatever. Watch it. I'm sure there's a YouTube video you can watch the, about it. Honestly, if you just watch Judy starring um, Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. What's her name? Sorry, Renee Zellweger. Like, I do actually think that contextualizes a lot of the really horrible things that happened on set, which, like, we'll get into the Judy of it all. But what about the movie? At, you, so you said, like, um, you were talking about how, like, maybe it's this innate kind of gayness, queerness that is in the movie. Like, if you I don't could know, pinpoint if, I don't it. know if it's about like the any like subtext or metaphors. I think I just loved the fantasy. I loved the story. I wanted to go away to the magical land of Oz, and really, I wanted to be Dorothy. She was it. She was to me Judy Garland, Dorothy Gale, the pinnacle of feminine beauty that like I as a little burgeoning tranny wanted to inhabit. And the thing about that, and we on this podcast firmly believe that the word camp is uh, overused and often misused all the time, but Judy's Dorothy is the definition and the beginning of, like, an era of, like, women in film that would do a kind of camp performance. An emotionality that is, like, over the top and yet, like, deeply unaware of like, you know, how much it goes over. I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I've re- I, I think I feel like I've read so many, like, you know, whatever. I, I No, I think there's an argument to be made either way. And, like, certainly this podcast is not about debating what is camp or not. No, no, no. But I think I see it more as, like, 
she understood the movie she was in and like big did, well and like, did she or and like big MGM spectacles of the time like that was the kind of heightened um, like the kind of heightened performance that she needed to give I think it's actually like pretty self-aware I and she also was like being plied with like pills um you know yeah that's tw- what I'm saying she definitely I don't think that then in that case I don't think there's self-awareness and I don't think she knew what movie she was in Rose you know she was you <laughs> okay know, you, you might you might yeah, be right my point so here's the thing I th- I know why you're resistant to like even talking to even talking about Judy in a lexicon of camp but I think that because she predates I'm not this resistant whole... to talking about Judy I'm talking resistant to having a conversation about what is camp or not but I think I think the reason, and I I agree, I also just don't really care about it, but I think the reason I bring it up is because a lot of camp that exists today is deeply aware of itself. It's, It's part of a camp factory or the manufacturing of camp, and like Judy's performance is camp in its purest form. You know what I mean? She didn't know that the way she would make her eyes all gooey or the way she would like like every time something was wrong or the way her eyes are really gooey they're the gooey. she's always eyes. on the brink of tears which always. I think says a lot about what Judy was going through Liter- at the time literally and she I, was being tortured I, on that can set. you imagine a, this movie she was which, fighting for her life and I don't and I mean literally. that both in a joking way and a literal way but like it couldn't have been anyone else like could you have, have imagined this movie if Shirley Temple was Dorothy instead which like no flop like can you imagine huge mega flop dude but that's but I, she, I love I love her drink. I think the point I would like to order one. I feel like I was responding to a kind a, a kind of um, emotional self that I really wanted. You know what I mean? Like I think that we're you know we're we're often taught to be like ashamed of like our emotions and like how we react to the world. And like Judy was so you know inordinately herself. But that I mean the movie is is fucking gay. Like it the is gay. gay. The source material is gay. I actually like. I didn't read the Oz books as a kid. I recently found out because of a TikTok that I I sent you. I don't know if you watched it. um, About how Ozma, who is one of the rulers of Oz, is canonically trans. Wait, how? Tell me. So she is um, put in the body of a boy because, like, of some kind of royal shenanigans. um, And then, like, discovers her inner woman but it, oh. it's it's like it is canon that she is trans that's amazing and honestly like it it, it makes so i read um i think the like at least two if not three of the books i don't remember anything i just remember loving them as a kid and i do know that like they were all very dark and very violent they got um i think initial criticism found the books actually too violent and so they actually like waned in violence as he started making more and more Oz well they books. literally murder someone and the- dorothy murders two people yes and well i think that's also the magic of the film is the film is able to render something that's actually really violent as like you know, fantastical and silly and like, you know, the witch, the witch of the East has these, you know, striped stockings on that make it Which a are lot less fierce. Fierce. Um, and so I think that, you know, the, the movie um, renders all of that darkness and violence in a very pristine MGM way. And so it, I think it's interesting to see things like Return to Oz or the Wiz adaptation of the movie that really leaned into the original L. Frank Baum-like kind of vision, which was darkness, violence, like kids can handle this. Oh, yeah, because you have only experienced Return to Oz for the first time today. For me, 
Return to Oz was one of the most formative pieces of media in my childhood. Um, so Return to Oz came out in 1985, starring Faruza Balk. It's a it's about Dorothy going back to Oz, and Oz is all fucked up. And it is an incredibly dark, twisted, beautiful fantasy. <laughs> um, it's so weird. It has one of, I think, one of the most iconic villains of all time, Queen Mombi, who is a witch who has a hall of women's severed heads that she keeps so that she can wear a new head every time she's, like, feeling herself, which also feels very trans to me. Also feels very trans. Um, The movie opens with Dorothy's um, aunt and uncle uh, being so, like, shook about her talking about, you know, like, her visit to Oz that they commit her to a mental institution where she receive where she almost undergoes shock therapy. Can I I this is not a this is not a drag. I watched the movie specifically because you told me how formative it was to you. And within the first 5 minutes of this film, I understood everything about you. <laughs> no, I because, don't see that as a drag. Yeah, I see that as a compliment. Because there is something I mean, it is somehow very archetypal, but also like it's so so dark. To the wheelers, the guys who have wheels for hands? No, but I mean they're I'm so scary. Also very scary. But I'm talking about the actual And the talking ki- chicken? Oh, also fucked up. The the actual conceit of the movie is like like to to be an it is like on paper it was trying to be a sequel to Judy Garland's Wizard of Oz like they had to pay but it's not a musical but it's not a musical they had to pay MGM like an inordinate amount of money just for the rights to say the word like ruby slippers because that was original to the movie it wasn't in the books mm-hmm. um and the like but to have to start a movie that's like Aunt M and all the people you people you love don't believe that entire thing that happened to you. They think you're crazy. They think you are crazy. And they have you committed. They have you committed. For electroshock and, therapy. And here you are trying to tell people about like your friends and this like kind of traumatic thing that you went through and it went through and they're all telling you that it's and not And no one believes real. you. Um, yeah. And you get sent to a magical fantasy land with your talking chicken and a woman wants to cut your head off so she can wear it. Yeah. But my point in that is like the fact the fact that these were trying to be more true to the darkness of the L. Frank Baum's, Baum books was something that I really appreciated as uh, an OG lover of the books. And, like, I uh, did a little Google about, like, when these books came out. And he, like, L. Frank Baum was trying to kind of change children's books a little bit. He, like, loved kind of Hans Christian Andersen books. But he thought that the fact that they taught kids, like, lessons and morals was really unnecessary. Like, he didn't see the function of that, even though, like, The Wizard of Oz is filled with these, like, populist allegories. Um, But the, the, within a decade span, when The Wizard of Oz came out, the books that also came out were, like, Beatrix Potter's, like, you know, Peter Rabbit or whatever, all of Jack London's books, The Little Princess, Anne of Green Gables, The Secret Garden, Wind in the Willows, Peter Pan, like, all of these, con- there was this boom. The, the hits. Yeah, the boom and children's Secret books. Garden. All of these people Love. trying to kind of turn and revolutionize and change the kind of story on kids' books, I think is very interesting in the context of, like, The Wizard of Oz because it really was trying to make kids feel more like adults. Or rather, or rather, it wasn't trying to pander to kids. It was 
it, it, it felt like kids could handle well, the think, level of, of fear because yeah, I remember being I mean, it terrified explores, of the Wicked Witch. I think it explores in a really um, profound way the terror of being a child. It, oh, that is such a good way of putting because it. Because being a child is terrifying. Terrifying. It's terrifying and wonderful in equal measure. And I think that's something the Wizard of Oz and any good Oz property understands. And I actually liked in Return to Oz that Dorothy was younger than she had been in Wizard of Oz because it makes more sense for the story. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. L. Frank Baum, L. Frank Baum wrote two editorials asserting that like the only way like to like white victory was like for the wholesale genocide of like native people in this country in the 1900s. Literally, I mean, nothing about that is surprising. But I, as I always say, it's just like you know, let history stick to create the creators of the things that you love. Um, did you ever watch The Wiz, like the the movie adaptation? I have watched The Wiz. I've also seen. 
you know, a production of it. Oh, I've always wanted it to see it. It was when I was in high school, my freshman year. That was our musical of, for the year. Oh, I thought you meant a real production. Um, I was also no, in I've the never, Wiz. I was, no, I've never seen a real production of it. I was in the Wiz. In my predominantly white high school, I was in a production of the Wiz as um one of the, you know, one of the bricks in the yellow brick road. Probably. It's not, I will but, say, it's not one of my favorite musicals. I mean, there's some great songs in it. Um, you know, I have seen at probably every theater competition or like audition I've gone to, I've seen someone try to do home. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a perfect song. I, I, the, the Wiz is one of my favorite musicals. And I think that's part of the reason why I actually don't love a lot of the movie. Um, but what I was going to say to your earlier point is that something that I did really like about the film adaptation was that they kind of, you know, made Dorothy, I think, a 30-year-old, like, school teacher who lived in Harlem. And the pre- the kind of conceit is, like, she's never, you know, been south of Harlem and and all of a sudden she's in Oz, which I think is, like, a really smart and adult way to to kind of update the story of the Wiz, although it's like sad to know that the reason they did that is because like Diana Ross was just like too old to play Dorothy by the time they hired her, but she had just campaigned for the movie. I, apparently, the movie really would not have gotten made if Diana Ross hadn't, I guess, fought so hard for it, and they really wanted to replace her with Stephanie Mills, the OG. But I guess she just like had a big, big power play. But I watched it recently because I had read an interview where Melina Matsukas had said that she had floated the idea of a Wiz adaptation to Solange, which, like, Melina Matsukas is, like, one of my fave kind of, like, visual artist, creative director people. And I think Solange in The Wiz would be that would bomb. Eat. Yeah, that would that'd be so eat. good. Her kind of, like, mini Ripperton kind of, like, voice mm-hmm. would lend itself so well to, like, the musical stylings of this film and like I honestly think that was a part of why I'm curious to hear what you thought about the whiz because I felt like the music is kind of the best part of this entity and the music was not really championed in the movie outside of like can you feel a brand new day which I think is really well done and also home obviously was well done but I don't think the musical lends itself to Diana's voice as much as I wanted it to at that stage in no. her career I mean I have to be honest I'm just kind of ambivalent about the whiz mm. I don't have a lot of emotional stakes in it I think the music is fine for the most part <sighs> um I don't think a lot of it's very memorable at least for me um yeah, it just doesn't do it for me. It's okay. I will I will do all of the whiz standing for us cuz it, it it meant I think it meant a lot to my high school career. It was something that I I just really loved. Um but I guess another reason why the movie Well, first of all, I have to say that Diana Ross's home like in this movie when I watched it for the first time recently, I was like this is the precedent, like the predecessor or maybe even the reference for Anne Hathaway's "I Dreamed a Dream," because she does that move. That she does that song all one take on like a black screen behind with, her with a very tight close up on her face. Yeah, and Diana Ross did the exact same thing, which is extremely difficult to do as an actor, and even more difficult to do as like someone who's singing and acting. You know what I mean? I think that those parts of the movie are things that I loved, but um, the Wiz. 
was like famously like the movie was famously a huge flop because huge mega flop due to Kaka huge mega flop due to Kaka because it was so amped up I think it, it was an IP that's obviously so culturally beloved and I think that having all these stars set up in the movie did not really give the audience what they wanted because all of the stars are covered in prosthetics and and like you can't really see Michael Jackson in this like scarecrow like you can't really and and also again the movie really leaned into like L Frank Baum's kind of like darknesses um and I felt like that was off-putting to a lot of audiences at the time but I think that creative direct in terms of the creative direction of the movie it is, much like Return to Oz, very brilliant and very adult and very ahead of its time, you know? Mm-hmm. It is so weird and polarizing and, like, um, uncomfortable at times. And I felt like that was a strength of, of the film overall that is not necessarily commercially viable. It honestly reminded me a lot of... Um, did you see the Where the Wild Things Are adaptation, the Dave Eggers one? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it reminded me a lot of that because here you have like a filmmaker taking a globally beloved IP, like an IP that is like so important to a lot of people from a children's perspective that if you do a single thing to cross it, it's a betrayal, you know, to to go back to an earlier theme. And so what and then for the filmmaker to take this and to kind of warp it into like a weird, dark, existential movie that has a lot of, like, adult themes. And some great music by Karen O. And some great music by Karen O. Like, both the films kind of delivered something that the audiences didn't sign up for. But that's not a fault of the filmmaker or even the audience, you know what I mean? It just kind of was, like, a disconnect in how the film maybe, the films were either marketed or, like, kind of ramped up. Where the Wild Things Are and also The Wiz just basically made like a big, like a, a weird, long, scary art house film. But something that was extremely commercially successful. And continues to be. <laughs> and continues to be Till We Die. Is Wicked the Musical, <laughs> which we have talked about on this podcast before. Ad infinitum. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, too, too much, according to producer Phoebe. <laughs> well, you know what? I... D- <laughs> I, I drink my coffee out of my Wicked the Musical mug every morning. Phoebe's, Phoebe's in the booth right now f- hurling tomatoes at us. Boo! Um, get off the stage! You know, I think every generation has its <laughs> Wizard of Oz retelling. And I, that's just like a... Um, that's just like a a, mm. a hallmark of culture now because it it, it now is public domain mm. uh, because oh of, yeah it's public domain so that's why we see it reinterpreted in so many ways over and over again and I think you know we've seen so many versions of it through many different lenses like through d- like different cultures through different like musical styles and I think the reason why Wicked is so successful is because the framing of it is just, like, through... It started this whole craze of wanting to give, like, a villain origin story. Mm. Like, Wicked, I think, is the original <laughs> villain origin story. <laughs> yeah, actually. Not not just the musical, it. but the book by Gregory Maguire, which, like, which the musical is based on, and, like, is much more... It's much weirder and, like, more political and gayer than the musical. Before I even knew it was going to be a musical, I read the book because I saw it in like Borders or Barnes and Noble, and like of course I was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz and like 
especially the Wicked Witch of the West, which is, I think, like, an interesting dichotomy of my personality, is as much as I was obsessed with Dorothy when I was a kid, I was just as obsessed with the witch. Oh, yeah, of course. Because I'm a bad girl. I, I was really scared of her as a kid and fell in love with her through Wicked. If we were to place ourselves in time... During the Wicked craze of 2003. I can remember it so vividly. What are some things you remember? I I, I know I was in um, show choir and then musicals at the time. So everyone in my show choir was obsessed with it. Like we even sang a song from it. Um, I think for our teacher as like our, our senior song. But um, we sang okay. for good, obviously. Okay, let me tell you where I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I went to an, an art school. I was a theater major. I was like the... My whole life revolved around theater. When we heard about Wicked the Musical, because like we were very up to date on what was happening in theater, immediately I was on the Wicked the Musical website every day, <gasps> listening over and over to the snippets they had of the songs. Oh my god, not the snippets! And then the snippets, and and I had them memorized, and then it transferred to Broadway, and I would go on broadway.com or maybe it was like broadwayworld.com and I would watch the like clip packages that they had that had footage from the show over and over and over again. And then for my 16th birthday, my birthday trip was a trip with me, my friend Angelina, and my mom to go to New York City oh and God. see Wicked the Musical. Oh, girl. And I saw it on Kristen Chenoweth and Norbert Leo Butz's last performance. Oh, wow. And it was iconic. I was obsessed with it because I was a fag, but I wasn't in the fandom the way you were. Well, let's be honest about it. The music is not great. There's some of it wow. that, there's some of it that's good, but Steven Schwartz is like very hit or miss. Mm. Um it has not aged well. I don't mean that in that it's like problematic or doesn't hold up. I mean it's literally been running too long. Yeah. My friend Ryan and I saw it a couple years ago. We won the lottery. And as we were leaving, we were like, okay, this needs to close. And then, like, a new production of it can open as a revival six months later. But we need to change things up again. But then, uh, like, a month ago, I went to see a touring production of it in Costa Mesa. and Which you talked about on the pod. Which I did talk about on the podcast. But it did revitalize my love for Wicked. I will love it forever. What's your favorite song? Mm. I didn't mean to cut off your thought. I'm sorry. I don't think it's a good musical, but it's a great musical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you you don't think it's <laughs> you don't think I the said music, what I said. You don't. Think no, no, no. Me- I said I don't. It does not need any further explanation. I don't <laughs> think it's a good musical, but I think it's a great musical. I I actually understand innately what you're trying to say. Yes. I, I, uh, what is my favorite song? Yeah. You asked, cutting me off. <laughs> um. I would say my favorite song are either the bridge in Thank Goodness, um, mm, where where um, Glinda has her little moment, that's why I couldn't be happier, um, or, uh, I mean, The Wizard and I, obviously... You know, that's the moment. That's the, that's the moment that w- when I was, a, a, you know, a sophomore in high school, my friend and I would put the Wicked CD into the CD player in her Honda Civic, and we would both <laughs> scream the words to, and we'd be like, you're pitchy, you're flat. I hope you're happy. 
Um, and she'd be like, and we would like get to as long as her mind. She'd be like, you have to do the boy parts. Oh, of course. Wow, that is the the, the fatal. That is honestly such a fuck you. Um, I my favorite song was popular. Which, like, perfectly... popular is the most fun. It also, like, just perfectly set up the dichotomy between these two characters. But also, I just see myself in Glinda so innately. Well, when it comes to this podcast, you're the Glinda, I'm the Alphaba. We all know this to be true. I feel like every queer relationship has, like, a... a... Well, okay, have you ever heard that, like, every gay relationship has a C-3PO and an R2-D2? Have you... I have never heard that. Okay, well, it's true. Like okay, every... I'm the R two D two. You well, I <laughs> well, I was gonna say that. Like, I do, I do believe that to be true. I think every gay relationship has an R two D two and a C three PO. But I think like maybe like every like T for T relationship has an Alphaba and a Galinda. Like I think that or every maybe... lesbian relationship has an Alphaba or a Galinda. Oh, that makes much more sense because but, they are gay. But but Galinda, as you've said before, is like a little trans. Like has a slightly trans yeah. is born into something that she didn't choose, and but everyone demonizes her for it. Also, in the book, Alphaba is possibly intersex. What? Yeah. Um. There's. It's a whole thing. Oh my um, goodness. Okay, but of the Wizard of Oz characters, who are we? I think I am. Oh, this is tough. I mean, I'm not the Cowardly Lion. I, I think I'm either the Tin Man or the Scarecrow. I'm the Scarecrow. You're the Scarecrow. I'm kind of an idiot, and I love life You're because the of that. You know? Like, I, I really actually am, for the most part, like, blissed out when I choose not to kind of subscribe to a certain turmoil or problematizing of things. You okay, know? and who am I? I mean, you, I think, I mean, if you're— I'm the Wicked Witch? No, actually, I think if you're not Dorothy, I do think you're the Cowardly Lion. I, 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 I think huh, that that's it, interesting. I think I've that, never even considered that. I think I would. I think I would. So I have male energy, is what you're saying? <laughs> well, you know, the Cowardly Lion. Do, do they really have a gender? Because in the movie when An she's argument getting could be made. listen when in the movie when she's getting buffed and puffed, honey, when she is like in Oz and she's getting her nails done, she's getting her mane done, she's like sitting down that little, she's like having her you know her self care day. Like I remember as a child, not an adult. I remember as a child, as a Taurus child, like looking at that image and being like. That has to be so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like I love the makeover be... montage when they go to the Emerald City. <laughs> yes! Okay, wait. One thing we do know for sure is while Dorothy was like asleep when they were on the Yellow Book Road, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow were fucking and sucking. <laughs> <laughs> no! They were getting zapped. Well, I think maybe it started out as just being the Tin Man and the Scarecrow, and then the Cowardly Lion like woke up one night and was like, what's going on? Wait, and they were like, all right, come can on. Can we actually dissect the dynamic between these four characters? Because it is actually really weird. The movie, like, kind of dis- the movie kind of leads you to believe that Dorothy thinks the scarecrow is like her favorite. There's a there's like, a romantic there's a, undertone and there should not be. But. Well, I mean when she's saying goodbye and she's like I'm gonna miss you most of all and the other ones are big, like, excuse me? What a fuck you What a fucking bitch. That's actually I re- like that it was They're like so we're wild. right here, girl. Your balloon hasn't <laughs> taken off yet. Yeah, yeah, like text her later, girl. Like don't say that in front of these other girls. I was trying to figure out but the dynamic to them for the three of them is like 
so interesting. It's to supposed me. to be kind of like Three Stooges y. Yeah, like a, a, a band of, of underdogs kind of moment. And they all, all each of them possess skill sets that the others lack, which I think is like, you know, the, the mix of like really good like character dynamics. Of, they, okay, of their three, whose song would you cut? I immediately thought of The Wiz, unfortunately, and how the Tin Man song is so subpar. Um, but, but I'm if, going off the MGM movie. Off of the MGM, I would cut the Tin Man's again. Yeah, because the Scarecrow's If I Only Had a Brain is canon now, and it, it even informs, like, you know, euphemisms, like things that we say in culture, like If I Only Had a Brain. And the cowardly line, like his line delivery of courage, you know what I mean, is Phenomenal. Like, I, I thought that's an amazing character. If I could cut one song, it would be the Cowardly Lion song. Why? I hate it. It it comes too late in the movie. because it, it happens when they're at the Emerald City. It does. And, like, w- babe, we're past the whole thing where we're talking about what we need. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I let, we got we to gotta go kill this but, witch. Let's but, get moving. But that's a movie structure problem. I think the song actually— No, I, I think the song's I think I don't even know— Garbage. See, well, that's the other thing. Okay, here's the thing, actually, is it's not even really a song. It's this actor kind of doing very, very specific character choices that I think are totally, like, original. Like, who, like, for him to be like, yeah, I'm going to go in and, like, gargle, like, my lines. Like, to for him to do the kind of, you know what I'm talking about? How he yeah. goes... How, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow, you know, when we when I go home from here, I'm gonna look up Tin Man Scarecrow fan fiction. Oh, don't do that. And you know what? There's gonna be a lot of it, a and it's lot gonna be it. it's gonna be nasty. <laughs> This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? 
backroom deals, huge amounts of money, CIA secrets, sets off a firestorm in Washington, affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Okay, so I, as I said earlier, like, L. Frank Baum, like, did not want us to, like, learn lessons in this movie. Or rather, learn lessons from his books. But the movie does try to teach you a lot of things, I feel. what do you, Okay, what did you learn from it? Well, I was going to ask you that. Like, what well, you, I just asked you, so oh. you have to go first. <laughs> okay. I feel like with all four of the kind of heroes, the movie is trying to show you that you are in and of yourself like a whole person. Like you possess everything you need to love and accomplish like your life and our kind of tendency to see everything that we don't have makes us feel not like whole people and like we can't do what we need to do when in reality we fully can do what we need to do. Hmm. What do you think? I, The Wizard of Oz made me trans. That's my answer. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't have a deeper answer than that. It's just The Wizard of Oz is absolutely the the thing that made me realize that, like, I was or wanted to be a girl when I was little. Is there – you said you don't have a deeper answer to that, and yet I am farming for a deeper answer. What other – Good luck. We've we've alluded to to, um, trans subtext in The Wizard of Oz IP in general – like what 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 do you think you saw in the story or in the characters where you were like I understand this to be or rather I I'm trans because of this. I just wanted to be Judy Garland. Yeah. That's I mean it. she is the the perfect archetype of a very specific kind of femininity that I wanted to be and loving that movie helped me access it. A pure heroine. And and what's interesting about the character of Dorothy is she's not interesting. Like, she, on paper... No, she is a plinth with w- upon which to place <laughs> yes! other things. And and they say, you know, in st- obviously, like, these um, metrics didn't exist at the dawn of filmmaking, which The Wizard of Oz is largely kind of, like, seen as this, like, the dawn of, of contemporary filmmaking. color mama. Yeah. Um, even though this didn't exist, like, they always say, like, a bad, bad character writing is when characters don't make any decisions and things just happen to them. And that is exactly Dorothy. Like, she doesn't know. really... know. Her, what she wants drives the entire movie. She wants to go home. But she doesn't make any decisions That's not true. Way. She decides to go to the Emerald City. No. The 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 witch tells her to do it. No. Everyone... Dorothy says, I want to go home. And, the, and Glinda says, well, then you have to go see the wizard. Dorothy's... If desire to go home drives the entire plot of the movie. If I may finish my point, which I think you will actually agree with. Okay. Things really do just happen to her. And that is, in a lot of, like, screenwriting, considered bad writing or whatever. And yet, Judy Garland's performance, 
like, is so, like, magnanimous and sucks up, like, every single kind of, like, moment that you, it doesn't even matter that plot-wise she really isn't doing anything because the emotional stakes are in every scene. I, unfortunately, fundamentally disagree with you because I think she has the most classic... I mean, it's somewhere over the rainbow. So there's a thing in musicals called the I Want song, and it's at the beginning of a musical where the lead sings a song that tells you what it is they want. And somewhere over the rainbow, what Dorothy wants is she wants to get out of her life and, like, find something more magical than it. And it's the original I Want song. She gets that, and then she realizes that she wants to go home, and she spends the rest of the movie doing everything she can literally murdering people so she can achieve what she wants. She didn't so murder the witch like, on purpose, though. That's no, but my point. She, but she... She didn't murder she, either of the witches on purpose. No, but she does what she has to do to get what she wants. So I I, <laughs> I will respectfully... But she does. So, the movie so, is driven by her desires and her des- actions. But desire is not an action. So what is... I, this is so stupid, but, like, what are the actions that she takes? She follows the yellow brick road. There's literally a song about... It. Because Glinda told her to. She didn't make that decision on but her own. But she still makes the action. She could have not. I'm not even negging the movie. I'm actually giving like Judy Garland a huge compliment. I think that what I'm I... not saying you're negging the movie. I just think we have yeah. we have different viewpoints on this. My point is And I think it's very clearly laid out in like the song lyrics and the text of the movie that Dorothy I, makes decisions. I think we were. I think we're potentially both right. Um, I, and I and I feel like I see what you mean about her being very reactive. Like, uh, I didn't mean to kill her. My house fell on her. Like, the uh, Dorothy is placed in circumstances, and and without like trying to be, yeah. but. Based on those circumstances, she makes decisions and actions that drive the plot forward. And I and I disagree, but I but I I, I think my my point is that that none of that matters, and I think that it's a testament to how brilliant the film is that a, a character that is so flatly written still has emotional stakes in like every single component of the film because of the performance and because of the music and because of all of the things that make the Wizard of Oz I mean, how so could she great. not have action? When the witch gets set on fire, she throws a thing of water on her and kills her. On, But she doesn't do it to She doesn't do it on her. purpose, but she's still, it's point. still an action that she takes to... Yep, it's not a decision to, actually, to kill her. Tries it's not to a decision save, to kill She actually <laughs> tries to save her life. You are, I'm you sa- are, sh- you are actually sh- say, show, telling the virgins... I think this actual conversation is perfect and it says a lot about both of us as people. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm... I'm, but I am saying that I'm also right. <laughs> I think they can both be true. And I think that's a, the wonderful thing about the wonderful Wizard of Oz is that it came out l- almost a hundred years ago and yeah. we can still have this kind of discussion about it. Yeah. And that's amazing. And that's our show. So I'm going to click my heels three times and we're going to go back to Los Angeles. Oh, I see. Um, oh, we were in Oz this whole time? We we were. Oh and my gosh, you, why wasn't I warned? We'll be back next week to talk about the horny gay Dumbledore movie that is going to be the best queer representation <laughs> on ever. screen oh, ever. Yeah. Get the stakes. So excited. Let's let's keep the expectations real high. Let's um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to go see uh, 
you know, the secrets of Dumbledore, please do. If you want to pirate it and not give J.K. Rowling your money, do that. If you don't want to do any of them and you just want to hear us talk about it, that's fine too. Tell us what you want us to talk about next, whether it's a show, a book, a cultural phenomenon. We want to hear from you. You can call to confess at 323-PENANCE. That's 323-736-2623. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot, even if it's a little spicy. I'm your co-host, Rose Domu. You can find me online at Rose Domu. I'm Fran Gerardo. You can find me at Squishco anywhere you want. You can subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producers, BB Unter, with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Kreinchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, see you later, virgins. May Somewhere over the rainbow. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and, like, so simple? And what else was it going to... Like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.